persecuted church, uh, Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to begin reading uh, in verse uh, 8. I don't know why it says verse 1, but it should be verse 8 in just a moment. Uh, so as you're opening your Bibles, I was thinking of something I wanted to share before I get into the, the actual message, and it's Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. Um, we're going to look at verses 8 and 9, by the way, and that's all we're going to have time for. And then next week, we'll look at verses uh, 10 and 11. So this will be a two-part sermon, kind of like last uh, week's, the last couple of weeks, church at Ephesus. Speaking of children, I've still got children on the brain, children on my mind. I was talking to somebody just a few minutes ago, um, Miss, Mrs. Bunch. Dorothy Bunch, where are you? You're sitting right out here in the middle. Now, let me tell you all a little bit about this lady for just a second. She'll be 87 this week. She worked in the children's ministry at Great Hills Baptist Church for 52 years. Is that not amazing? Would you stand up, Miss Dorothy? Stand up. Let us. There she is. Praise the Lord. God bless you, sweetie. Amen. Wow. Can I say, great is your reward in heaven for working with children. And uh, she told me uh, right before the service, she said, that's how, I'm, that's how I'm so young. That's why I'm still going so strong as I worked with kids for 52 years. You ought, to try, you ought to try it. It'll give you longevity in your genes. Seriously, guys, we need some folks who are going to stand up and say, I want to help. Here's my background check. Here's my information. You could check me out completely and thoroughly. And I love kids. My heart is pure, and I want to teach children in our children and preschool ministry. Well, let me ask you this. Would you at least pray about that? Some of y'all are going, I'm not even going to pray about that. If I pray about that, God might ask me to do that, and I'm just not going to pray. Listen, you've got to at least be willing to pray about it, all right? And then let us see if God, uh, God so leads you to do it. So this is the church of persecution. Real excited about sharing this message with you because there are so... There's so much truth. There's so many amazing things I want to try to bring out of this text to you today. And so let's go ahead and read it. Let, let's begin with Revelation chapter 2. We'll look at verse 8, and we're only going to look at 8 and 9, but we're going to take some time and look, uh, read the whole, the, the whole paragraph, if you will. And it says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know you're... Ergon, I know your ergo, I know your works, and I know your thalipsis, I know your tribulation, and I know your poverty. But Jesus says, even though I know all this, you are very rich. And he says, I know the blasphemian, that's where we get this English word, I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews, but they are not. But they are of the synagogue or the congregation of Satan. Do not fear. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful. Be faithful. Let me say it one more time. Be faithful until death. And Jesus says, I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Ever since Christianity's beginning, its inception, it has undergone intense, harsh persecution. Think about it. Jesus said, if they treated me this way, if they violated me and abused me and mutilated me on a cross, 
then don't think that they're not going to do the same thing to you. You are my people. You are my followers. And we are not of this world. Our world is a different world. It is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And what I am teaching you is, is in direct contrast to what the world says to So don't be amazed when you are persecuted. There have been more people persecuted. There were more people persecuted, killed for their faith in the 20th century than all the other 19th centuries combined. 160,000 people a year lose their life because they believe what you believe. They are killed. They are martyred for their faith. 200 million Christians at this very moment suffer the real threat of persecution. Some of the places in the world that are the hot spots, the number one hot spot for the 12th year in a row is the country of North Korea. Then you have Somalia. Then you have most of the Middle Eastern uh, countries. And, and those are the most intense places to be a Christian. I found this very interesting, though, in opendoorsusa.org. And by the way, that is a great website if you're interested in learning about the persecuted church, www.opendoorsusa.org. They said, yes, it's in North Korea because the Christians there will not bow down and worship their leader, their president. And because they will not do that, they are classified as enemies of the state. And yet, guess which country is experiencing a mighty movement of the Spirit of God? Guess what country where more and more people are converting to Christ? You guessed it. It's the country of North Korea. Tertullian, the early church father, was absolutely right. You would think the devil would get this after 2,000 years, but he doesn't get it. The more you kill us, the more we multiply. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And so the church continues to grow. I'm telling you guys, I wish I could do a good job of painting the picture for you today. I know it's hard for us to realize this in America because America, about 85-90% of our churches are not growing. But I'm telling you, in other parts of the world, it is on fire. I'm telling you, the Spirit of God is moving, and the people are recognized they are poor in spirit, and they need God. Do you think there's a correlation there? If you don't think you need God, then guess what? God's not going to meet you. But if you know you need Him, and you know you're abject spiritually in poverty, then the Lord will, he will come to you. Another good resource is the Fox's Book of Martyrs. I highly recommend that great book. It talks about each one of the early church martyrs, the original 12, and how they died. Fascinating book. Let me give you another book, another resource, as we talk about the persecuted church. It's called The Insanity of God. The Insanity of God is a book written by Nick Ripkin, Nick and Ruth Ripkin. I've talked about them. I've talked about this book a lot in my preaching last year. After many attempts, and when I'm not exaggerating, when I say after many months of contacting them and trying to get them, they're absolutely booked up. You cannot get them to come to your church. It's just about impossible. But through a lot of persistence and a lot of tenacity, I am happy to announce they are coming to our church. Now, I want you to know something, guys. This is a big deal because you just can't get the Ripkins. They're going to come. They said, not only am I we going to come to your church on a Sunday, we'll even come and give you one of our Saturdays. And I was like, please, you're, you're killing me. So come on. May the 3rd and May the 4th, Nick and Ruth Ripkin are going to be here. And, and they are the authors of the book, The Insanity of God. And just a little bit about his story. He was serving in Somalia. And while he was in Somalia, he just, he was overwhelmed by the darkness. Four of his good Christian friends, there were only a handful, and four of them were martyred. He personally knew them and loved them. So he said, God, it's just too much. So he left. He left. He came back to America, 
And he just began to let the Lord heal him and develop him again because he was, he was devastated in his faith. And God put him back together and sent him on a worldwide tour. And he has interviewed Christians all over the world, Russia, Vietnam, uh, India, China, all over the world. And he's written a book about it called The Insanity of God. And it is absolutely mind-blowing. It is fabulous. It is fascinating. But you better put on your spiritual big boy britches because it is intense. And he's going to come, guys, and he's going to preach at Great Hills. I cannot wait. I think I'll be here that day. How about you? Today we're going to look at the church at Smyrna. What a fascinating, fascinating church. This is only one of two churches of the seven that Jesus had nothing negative to say. I mean, think about that. Them and the church at Philadelphia, he had no negative word. It was all positive. It was all encouraging. He was, he was identifying with them. He was building them up and saying, guys, you're doing an awesome job. Keep on. Keep up the good work. I see you. I, I know what you're doing. I love you. I'm, by the way, I am right there with you. And in your moment of trial, in your moment of difficulty, in your moment of pain, I promise I'm going to be there right there with you, and I'm going to see you through it. I'm telling you guys, this is a good word. If you love the Lord today, and you're suffering today, and you're struggling today, and you need a word of affirmation, you need somebody to say, look you in the eye and say, hey, listen, God knows your name. He is watching you. He is proud of you. He loves you. Don't you back up. Don't you stop. Don't you quit because you're on the winning team. Jesus is on your side, and you will prevail. You will overcome. I don't know who that's for, but that's for some of you because some of you are in the trenches. Many of you are not. I recognize that. It seems to me when we come to church on Sunday, those who've had intense moments with the Lord, and those who have been sharing their faith, and those who have been beaten up and battered and bruised a little bit because they've been walking with God, man, they cannot wait to, for a Sunday to come. They rush into this place, and you don't have to worry about you getting here early. You're always here early because you're like, man, I'm, I'm ready to meet God. My tank is a little empty. It's going th toward the E, and I need to put it back on the F, and you're here, and I want to say, God bless you. I love you, and I love being your pastor, and I want to be one right there with you. Man, I want to get in there where it's happening, man, where it's intense. When you're sharing your faith and you're living for the Lord and you get looked at, you get ridiculed, you get talked down to, you get passed over, I'm right there with you. More importantly, Jesus is right there with you. So I want, to, I want you to look at this text with me today. We only got a few minutes to look at two verses. The first word I want to give you is a word of identification, okay? identification, then a word of commendation. Next week we'll look at words of promise and, and words of command. But today we're going to look at identification. Jesus identifies four key people or places uh, in our text, and I'm going to walk you through these. Number one, he identifies the angel, and this is the church pastor. I don't know what his name is, Mercy, but I sure do look forward to meeting him in heaven. He had a tough assignment. What if you were the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Smyrna? Come on. What if that was your assignment? That you were in this city, dark, difficult. You knew that many of your people were going to lose their life. You probably are going to lose your life for the cause of the gospel. He reminds me of this little Chinese pastor that I met when I was on a mission trip to China many years ago. I, you know, just some things you just don't forget. They're forever embedded in your mind. We went to his home. When I say home, can I, can I use that in the loosest term? I mean, you know, basically a few sticks, you know, and a little bit of cement. I mean, it is very, very modest. He had the biggest smile on his face. I still see his smile. 
He's beaming because we're coming there to help him build a church, not as a part of the government church. We're going to help him build him a, a facility that him and his people can get together and they can worship. And I'll tell you something. You serve God there, it costs you, friend. It costs you to live for God in places like China, in places like Belarus and India and Pakistan and especially Somalia and North Korea. It costs you. And I remember looking at him. He was, he was beaming. He said, let me show you my church. And I was like, okay. We come into his house. I'm like, Where, where's your church? He had put a white sheet from the top all the way to the bottom, and that was a white sheet. And on this side of the sheet was a bed. That's where he slept. And literally, on the other side of the sheet was his pulpit. <laughs> that was his church that met right, right there. You know, somebody said one time, and I remember who it was. It was Dorothy Patterson. She told a statement. She made a statement one time. I'll never forget it. She says, God will not give tough assignments just to anybody. And God gave this pastor a tough, prodigious, difficult assignment and there he is. He is the angel, by the way. He is the pastor. Number two is the church. Let's identify the church for a moment. We don't know where or when. Well, we know where, but we don't know really when the church at Smyrna began. Many people, they hypothesize and they believe that it was started on the third missionary journey of Paul, either by Paul or some of his colleagues. And while he was based out of Ephesus, they went out and planted a church there in modern-day Izmir, Turkey, which then was called Smyrna. By the way, the word Smyrna, interesting. When you translate the Old Testament into the Greek, that's called the Septuagint. And so whatever Greek word is used to translate that Old Testament Hebrew word will be a significant word. And, and the, when you come to the word myrrh, M-Y-R-R-H, in the Old Testament Hebrew, Hebrew, when you translate it into the Greek, they use the word Smyrna. Y'all know what myrrh is? Myrrh is what you anoint the dead bodies with. Myrrh is associated with pain and with suffering. And I like the way this one writer put it. He said, it perfectly pictures the suffering church at Smyrna. Like myrrh, it is produced by crushing a fragrant plant. And the church at Smyrna, crushed by persecution, gave off a fragrant aroma of faithfulness to God. And because they were faithful, they were hated. And because they were hated, they were persecuted. And because they were persecuted, it incited them to love Jesus Christ even more. And so this is the church. This is the church at Smyrna. When you think of Smyrna, think of myrrh. And when you think of myrrh, think of pain. Think of that fragrant plant that is crushed and the aroma that wafts up to the heavens. Think about suffering. Now let's look at the city. The city of Smyrna is a fascinating study. This city, as you noticed on the video, is believed to be the home of none other than Homer, uh, the Greek poet, the Iliad, and so forth. It had a large population. It was the most beautiful city in Asia Minor. And the most important thing, and I'm going to tell you a lot of things about Smyrna, because I want you to, man, I want you to know, I want you to understand. And so, because there's coming a day where you're going to teach this sermon. There's coming a day where many of you will take my sermons and you're going to use them in your Bible studies. You're going to use them when you go on the mission field. You're going to use them when you, when you plant these house churches, brothers and sisters. And so I'm teaching you. I'm a Bible teacher, and I'm not doing this just because I don't have anything else to do, all right? I'm doing this. This is my favorite thing to do, and I love doing this. It's teaching you the Word of God so you'll take it, and then you'll just like refried beans, amen, you'll just put them on out there, and everybody else can eat them, all right? Smyrna, crushed fragrance, all right? This city was established in 3000 B.C. 
in 1000 BC, the Greeks, they, they really beefed it up. I mean, they really claimed it as their own. In 600 BC, the Lydians came and destroyed the city of Smyrna. And the city of Smyrna lay in ashes for 300 years. In 290 BC, a couple of Alexander the Great's generals, or really his successors, they came to the city of Smyrna. And they said, we need to rebuild the city. By the way, this is the most beautiful city in all of Asia Minor. And so it lay in ashes for 300 years, and now they are molding it, and they are shaping it. Please keep this factoid in your mind. This was the city that died and yet came back from the dead. Keep that, keep that in mind. It is on the Gulf of the Aegean Sea, has an excellent harbor, but what it's known for is the worship of other deities, and especially the deity of the Roman emperor. The Roman emperor, it started out that he rejected people worshiping him, and then he allowed it, and eventually he evolved to the point where he demanded it. And so you hear, here you have this body of Christians, these, these churches, and they're worshiping Jesus, giving allegiance only to the king, and then the emperor comes up and says, well, now you've got to worship me. Well, we've got a problem, okay? And they're not, they will not bow down to the emperor. And because they will not bow down to the emperor, it brings them to direct confrontation. They are now considered enemies of the state. And keep that thought in mind as well. The city was an architect's dream, beautiful, aesthetic city. They had these streets lined with groves of trees. They actually had a place called the Street of Gold. And it went from the bay in the south to Mount Pagos in the north. And when you went through the Street of Gold, here's what you passed. You passed by the following temples. Sibeli, Apollo, Epaphrodite, Zeus, and many other gods and goddesses. So that is the city. That's the city that Jesus birthed the church at Smyrna. I mean, God is just so amazing. I mean, it's just like God to say, I know the odds are squarely stacked against you, and I know the world is heading to hell in a handbasket, and I know it's dark, and I know it's difficult, and just so that I will show you my pristine power, I'm going to plant a church, and I'm going to bless that church, I'm going to raise that church up so it will be a radiant blast of hope and light to everybody around it. Yes, you're going to suffer. Yes, some of you are going to lose your life, but the cause of the gospel will emanate, and it will rise up, and it will blossom out of this place of suffering. That's just like God to do something like that. And when that happens, guess what we do? We say, glory to God. Only God could raise up a place, a church in a place like Smyrna. Let me give you my favorite one. Jesus. Let's identify him for just a moment. Well, let's let him identify himself. He says, I am the first, and I am the last. I am the one who was dead, and I came to life. Come on, friends, that's not by accident. Jesus knew what this city's history was. Jesus knows everything. He knew this would be a personal, contextual message for them. He knew they could resonate with this. He knew they could relate to this. And by the way, in Revelation 1, in 17 and 18, the same context when John falls on his feet like he's dead, Jesus lays his right hand on him and says, Do not be afraid. I am the first and I am the last. And just as that city had died and come back to life, Jesus said, I have died 
and I have come back to life. A personal, powerful, contextual word for them. Listen to this statement I have for some of you today. Whatever you are up against, please take heart that Jesus knows and Jesus can help you. Jeremiah 32, 27, powerful promise from the Word of God. God says, Behold, I am the Lord, Yahweh, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Can we answer that question? No. There is nothing. That's a rhetorical question. It wants you to think about it. There's nothing too difficult for Him. Speaking of a contextual, personal, powerful word. You know, God still does this. On Friday, I was in, um, in Louisiana. Man, I had some etouffee. Come now, mercy. That put the blessing on me. I'm telling you, I, I received it. It was, it was delicious. And they fed me some other Cajun food, too, and I did not turn it away. I ate every bit of it. And so I'm in this church, and, um, and I was speaking at 8 o'clock to a group of pastors, and I spoke at 11 o'clock uh, from, from 11 to 12.30 on reproducing disciples and what God is doing at, at Great Hills. And Fred, I may have gotten you an assignment. I need to talk to you, okay? Because I've kind of put your name out there, and so they may be contacting you. And so anyhow, I'm just telling them what God's doing in our church and, and how God is blessing. And then I preached that night at 7 o'clock. The service we left at 10 o'clock. I'm telling you guys, it was, it was one of the most amazing situations I've ever been in. Now, it's a charismatic church. It's a full-blown charismatic church. And my friend was, was raised a Baptist, and they still invited me, this Baptist, to come. And it was kind of awkward. I just walked up to the pulpit and said, hey, I'm a Baptist. And they all started laughing, you know, because they're not. I know one lady spoke in tongues, another person prophesied. I was like, good night, where am I? What am I doing here? But I still believe God called me to this church to preach, to preach the Word of God. Let me tell you something, guys. It don't matter. As long as you preach the Word of God, you'll be okay, all right? And so I started going, what am I going to say? I was nervous. And this place was packed, and it was, it was crusade night. And they had brought in tons of lost people, and, and lots of people were there. And I was like, what am I going to preach? And so I was like, oh, I got two sermons. I've got one that's my sugar stick. I got a sermon. I can preach it blindfold. I can preach it asleep. I can preach it. Y'all know what? <laughs> My family's laughing. They're like, we've heard it a hundred times, Brother Dan. We know it. And I was like, Lord, just let me preach that sermon because I know that sermon because I know I'm going to be very uncomfortable. I'm going to be a little uncomfortable, and I just don't know. I, I just want to preach that sermon. And the Holy Spirit said, you're not preaching that sermon. You're going to preach this sermon. I said, well, I know I'm not. I'm going to preach this sermon because I know I'm going to get nervous. Y'all ever do that? Y'all ever tell God no? Isn't that dumb? I mean, isn't that ridiculous? The sovereign God of the world says, you're going to do this. You're like, no, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. I'm not. And so I'm just, I'm just being recalcitrant, stubborn. And I am worried. I have anxiety. I'm like, I, gotta, I just got to be comfortable. And so at 530, I still, I still was battling. And I told the pastor, I said, Pastor, I got two sermons, and I don't know what to do. And he says, the Holy Spirit will tell you. And I said, I kind of think he already has, but I don't like it, you know, and so we're sitting at this table. This is going to mess some of y'all up. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what happened, all right? We're sitting around this table of pastors, and we're eating our etouffee. And Pastor Roger from Nicaragua said, I want to tell a story. He began to tell this powerful story 
about the love of God and how he did not have an earthly father, but he has a heavenly father. And in the midst of him talking in Spanish, he speaks the very word of my text that I felt the Holy Spirit was leading me to preach on. He said, Zacchaeus. And I was like, say, you should have seen me. I was like, what'd you just say? I was like, what'd you just say? I don't know that anybody else heard it, but as clear as I am speaking right here, I heard the word Zacchaeus. I said, okay, Lord, that's, that's it. I give up. Guess what text he wanted me to preach? It was Luke 19, 1 through 10. That's what I preached. We had 16 people get saved. God fell down. It was an amazing experience. Listen, sometimes, sometimes God will, I mean, he will speak. And listen, when Jesus said, I was dead, now I am alive. I'm going to tell you what it did. It emboldened. It emblazoned them. It, it motivated them to go even further with the Lord because the Lord spoke specifically to them. I don't know. I don't know Spanish, but I asked somebody. I said, anybody else hear the word Zacchaeus come out of his mouth? And the pastor's wife said, I did. And I, that's kind of strange. I mean, why did you say Zacchaeus? And that's what he said. And that's what I preached on. And I like that story, by the way. <laughs> Wee little man, was he? Okay. So we've identified the angel, the church, the city. More importantly, we've identified Christ, or he's identified himself. Now look at the word of commendation. This is really interesting. Jesus said, I know I oida you, which means I know you completely. Really, it's not gnosko, I know in general, but it's oida. I know you pointedly. I know specifically what you're going through, and I want to commend you, number one, for your works. And the word there is ergon. We transliterate this right out of the Greek into the English. And ergon literally means to work. When you use it as a prefix for words like ergonomics, it has to do with, with, with work. In fact, ergonomics especially means human factors and elements and systems and how they work and how they interact with one another. And Jesus said, I know your works. I know your ergon. And man, I'm, I'm commending you and I appreciate you. You are teaching preschoolers. At Great Hills Baptist Church, I just want you to know I appreciate it. You are involved in this ministry with the Radiant Friends, Alzheimer's patients at Great Hills Baptist Church every Tuesday. Did y'all know that we have a bunch of Alzheimer's patients come to our church and we have a host of senior citizens loving on them and ministering to them? And I just have to think that Jesus knows that. David, he, he knows that, and he sees that, and he rewards you. You come every Wednesday night, and you pour your heart out, and you practice, and you give everything you got, and you sing to the Lord, and you love the Lord, and you got to get up early the next Thursday morning, and you play those instruments. No money, God says, I know. I see everything that you do for my church, I take it personally, and I take it seriously. If Jesus were to commend you today for what you're doing at Great Hills Baptist Church, would he have anything to say? Would he? Well, most of you, he wouldn't. But I, did I tell y'all we need some teachers in the preschool and <laughs> children? I'm just, just saying, you know, we, we really do. Um, now, listen, guys, is this church just growing again and taking off? We're, we're going to need a host of people. We're going to need deacons and servants. We're going to need people who are unsung heroes. We're going to need more greeters and ushers. We're going to need more people out in the parking lot. We're going to need people with their spiritual gifts, using them for the glory of God. And whatever you do for Great Hills Baptist Church, I promise you, if that is your church and this is where God has led you, you get involved and you serve, and Jesus Christ will personally take notice, and he will bless you and reward you for it. Number two, he says, I know your tribulation. 
Now, the word there is thalipsis, and it means extreme pressure. And next week, I'm going to take some time, and I want to share with you the story of Polycarp, who died in A.D. 150. He was a disciple of John. John the Beloved discipled this man, and Polycarp was the pastor at Smyrna. And when I tell you his story next week, please please don't go to your history books and read it, because I want to tell you, okay? I want to tell you about it, because it is absolutely inspiring and fascinating. But most of us, if not all of us, will not endure this unimaginable, horrific torture and difficulty that the church at Smyrna did. But some will. Did y'all know last month, almost a month ago to this very moment, we had some people in our church that I really was not worthy. I was not worthy of their presence. We had a group of people who surrendered to go on mission. One of them was a 29-year-old single lady. She walked up on the stage. Were y'all here? Some of you were here that night, the 26th of February. I haven't told y'all the whole story. I did invite you, and I pled with you to come. Most of you chose not to come, and, and that's okay. You know, when I was a preacher in my 20s and 30s, man, at this point, I'd start ranting and raving, say, you a bunch of nitwit knuckleheads. Why didn't you come? You should have come. But I'm not going to say that. <laughs> Those that did come, thank you for coming. Because it was a big deal to your pastor that you came. And I invited you. I wanted you to come. And, and it was a big deal. Because these, these were our heroes. Let me tell you a couple stories. One of them, 29 years of age. She was interviewed by the trustee. He said, are you afraid of anything? She said, I'm afraid I'm going to get tortured for the gospel. And she just might. She stood right here in your church. In your church, she stood right here. And she said, I may, my body may be tortured for the cause of Christ. And she said, I still got to go. I still got to go. There's another family. In your church, no other church in the city of Austin, but this church, and they stood right here, and they interviewed them. This is behind-the-scenes stuff. This is stuff you haven't heard about. They interviewed this family, and they said, we just want you to know. The last family that went to where you're going, are you sure you want to do this? Here's what happened to this family. The radical extreme of their religion found them out. And said, we have discovered you, we know who you are, and we are going to burn your children alive. Southern Baptist missionaries. And our team went in and extracted them. They got them out. They asked his family, they said, you've got little ones. Are you sure you want to go? And they said, we're going. Jesus is the king, and he has he's commissioned me. He's mandated me, and they took... I'm telling you guys, I was not worthy. I'm, I'm not worthy to untie their shoes. That is a depth of commitment I really don't know, okay? But they were in our church, and, and they are my heroes. Some of you guys, I can't look at you right now. I'll start crying, but you know who you are. very proud of your son. 
he's in a dark place. He could lose his life for the gospel. And there's another family over here, and I can't look at y'all either. So their hearts as parents is broken, but they're so proud because their daughter is going. She is going to a hard place, and she might suffer for the cause of Christ, but I just want you to know, I am so honored, absolutely humbled to be your pastor. And I, I think the greatest testimony for a parent would be for a daughter or for a son to go and give their lives for the gospel. Hold on just a second. Y'all, I'm a mess. I've got to take a time out. It's nasty because it's got my makeup on it, all right? That's what's, that's what's going here, here, Here's what 2 Timothy 3.12 says. It says, Yea, and all who will desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You may be passed over for a promotion. You may be mocked and ridiculed. But all of us are going to have to suffer for his name if we really are living for Him, if we're really standing out for Him. Now, in the early church, let, let me, I've listed five things that they were accused of. You may want to jot these down, because one day you're going to teach this. I'm telling you. Some of you are going to teach this message. In fact, I've, I've, I've written a book on this very topic, and I'm going to print it. We're going to make it available to you, and here, here it is. These are the five things that the early church was accused of. The first one, they were accused of being atheists. They were accused of being atheists because they would not acknowledge all their gods, okay? Secondly, they were accused of being unpatriotic. They were unpatriotic because they did not bow down to the emperor, and because they did not bow down to the emperor, then they were considered an enemy of the state, and they were unpatriotic, and if something bad were to happen to their city, they would blame it on the Christians because the Christians worshiped this other god, and he didn't worship the emperor and the, and the polytheistic and the multiplicity of gods, and so they were persecuted for it. Number three, for being people of incest. The early church talked about loving your brother and your sister. And the pagan authorities interpreted that, that brothers and sisters were having sexual relations with one another, and they accused them of being incestual. Isn't that heartbreaking? They were also accused of being cannibals. Because they said, Jesus said, this is my body, eat, and this is my, my blood, drink. And, and of course, we know that is the Lord's Supper and metaphors, but they literally were accused of eating one another's flesh and drinking one another's blood, and the people hated them for it. They said, you're a bunch of atheists. You're unpatriotic. You eat one another's flesh and you sleep with your siblings. You're a horrific people. We're going to obliterate you from our culture. And finally, they accused them of being arsonists because they talked about the fire of the Holy Spirit and the fires of judgment to come, and they were accused of being arsonists. But Jesus said, I know what you're going through, and I'm going to walk with you. When they deliver you to the wild beast and they boil you in oil and they crucify you and they put you at the stake, I will not depart from you. I will walk right with you. You know, Jesus says in verse 7, he talks about, excuse me, in verse uh, 9, he says, I know the blasphemy, the blasphemian, that is the accusations, the harsh slander 
of those who say they are Jews and they are not. There was a group of Jews who claimed to be doing God a favor by eradicating believers in Christ. And Jesus said, they're not, they're not working for me at all. Who they're working for is the enemy. They're working for Satan. And I'm just going to go ahead and say this, and I'm, I'm, I get myself in trouble a lot, but anytime somebody persecutes a follower of Christ, I don't care what kind of religion they are, they are working for Satan. Next, Jesus said, I know your penes. I know your poverty. It's P-E-N-E-S. It's where we get the English word, anybody? What's the most basic rudiment of our currency? That's where we get the word. It's penes. P-E-N-E-S is where we get the English word pennies. He says, I know you are poor. <laughs> and basically the word means you, you really don't have a lot. But then there's another Greek word called tokia. And tokia is actually the Greek word that Jesus uses here because when he says, I know that you are poor, he doesn't use paneus because paneus means you have something. Tokia means you don't have anything. You're abject, utterly broke, and poor. And Jesus says, I know you're not your paneus, but I know your tokia, that you don't have anything. And by the way, they would be ostracized in the business world because they are committed to Christ and then therefore they would be kicked out of their job or they never would be hired if they found out that they were followers of Christ. But Jesus says this. He says, but you are rich. You are rich in the things that matter. They were rich in love and joy and service and peace and all the fruit of the Spirit, though they did not have much material means. They had everything that really counted. It's just the opposite of the church at Laodicea. In, in Revelation 3, 17, Jesus said, you guys are poor spiritually, but you're rich materially. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize they don't have anything outside of Christ. What, what would you rather have? Let me give you two scenarios of two families. This family loves Jesus, and they don't have a whole lot. They don't have a lot of extra. They don't wear the nicest clothes. They surely don't drive the nicest cars. And, 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 but, but they have a lot of peace. They have a lot of joy. They love Jesus a lot. And man, they can't wait to get to church and worship the Lord because they don't... You know, the things of this world is not satisfying, but Jesus is. Would you rather have that or this? You got people that have everything that you could ever imagine, but their lives are broken, they're addicted to everything, their kids are as spoiled as they can be because they've got everything under the sun, they've got everything the world has to offer. Mom and dad are unfaithful to one another. Children are on all kinds of medications. There's no peace. There's no joy. What would you rather have? I'd take the first any day, wouldn't you? I mean, I'd take, I'd take this family any day. And then there's some of us that we are blessed. Isn't that something? We are blessed. We do have nice clothes, and we, we do have nice vehicles. And, and, and because we have those things, there's nothing wrong with those things, but we still love Jesus. But listen to this. If somebody said, we need to take everything you've got, 
what would you give up? Would you give up your freedom and your ability to worship Jesus, or would you give up all your possessions? I'm, I'm telling you, I hope that in that moment, and that moment may come, that I would say, Jesus, take all this stuff, because it's just stuff. But I want to be found faithful for him. I really got to do something now, and I, I feel very, very impressed to do this. Before we leave today, I have got to say this. There are some people in this room, you need to give your heart to Christ today. I was speaking to a lady this week, and she, she brought somebody to church, and, and the lady was, she was listening to me preach, and at the invitation, she was, you could tell God was really working on her, and, and she said, you, you want me to go forward with you? And, and I just appreciated that so much. Here was one of our church members talking to an unchurched friend. She said, you want me to go forward? You want me to go down the aisle with you? Isn't, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that awesome? Some of you here today, I'm going to encourage you. Okay, I'm going to encourage you to stand to your feet. And you come down and you get something that's worth living for and worth dying for. Okay? You say, well, how do I get that? Well, you repent of your sins. You put your faith in Jesus. And there will be counselors here. We will help you. We will encourage you. And if you're a biblical counselor at Great Hills, let me encourage you to do something. Okay? I want you to be ready today and every day. When somebody comes forward, you take them out, you talk to them about their relationship with Christ, you talk to them about baptism, and you talk to them about being a member at Great Hills and what that means, all right? So that's wonderful. Others of you, you do need the Lord, you do need a church home, and we invite you to come. However, there's others of you God's calling you. God's calling you to the gospel. And you need to, you need to surrender. You need to say, Lord, here I am. It may cost me my life, but I will be a missionary. And I surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ today. March 23rd, 2014, this is the day that I said, yes, Lord, yes. I will be a missionary, I will be a preacher, I will be a servant of yours, I will do whatever you come to do. And some of you today, in Jesus' name, you need to stand up, walk down this aisle and say, God has called me and I am being obedient today. And I can't wait to meet you. Can't wait to shake your hand. You say, well, Brother Danny, I think I'm called. I don't know if she's called. Let me be careful and say something. God's never going to call one and not call the other if you're married. Okay. So listen, if your husband walks with God, and he loves Jesus, and he feels called, honey, you're called. You're called, okay? You need to go. Sir, if he's, she's walking with God and loves God, and, and she goes, man, God's calling me, guess what? You're going to get called too. I'm making some of y'all nervous because I want to tell you something. I have, I have failed y'all. I have not done a good job of calling out the called at Great Hills Baptist Church, and I want to do a better job of that. So some of y'all are looking at me like, are you going to do this a lot in the next few weeks? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be doing this. I'm going to be saying, come. Come come on. In fact, if you're here today and you've been called into the ministry, Kyle, Terry, would y'all just stand? Would you stand on your feet? Seth, just, just stand. Who, 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 who's, who's here has been called to the gospel ministry? Okay. Anybody else? Hallelujah, man. We got a lot of preachers and preacherettes here. All right. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. 
Amen. Amen. Okay, you can be seated. Who didn't stand should have stood? Who didn't stand? She said, God, it's calling me, Brother Daddy. I know it's coming. You're telling them stories. My heart's about to explode. It's beating so fast. I was like, would you be quiet? You're about to come out of my chest cavity. And you know it's the spirit of the living God. And I just want you to say, I am honored to be your pastor. And I'm telling you guys, I will help you. I will, I will come alongside you. I will do whatever I can. In fact, I'm meeting. I'm meeting with young men now. I'm counseling with them. I'm talking to them. Seth, we need to talk. We need to meet. If you're called, you need to talk to me, okay? And I want to help you, and I want to, I want to mentor you. And I want to help you, okay? Man, I am a mess. Hold on just a second. I'm almost through. Pray for you, preach God's word to you, and mentor those who are called. That's what God's called me to do as your pastor, okay? And that's what I'm going to do. That's what I got to do. I got to pray more, I got to keep studying, and I've got to mentor those of you uh, who are called. And Daniel, I'm looking forward to mentoring you. Daniel asked me when he came, he said, one question I've got, if I become your student pastor, would you mentor me? And I said, well, let me think about it. Yeah, I thought about it. Yes. I'd be honored. I'd be honored to do it. And he and I are going to start meeting. When I finish my systematic theology, which I'm almost done, he and I are going to start to meet, okay? Then I want to ask four or five other of you to join us, okay? Especially of you that feel this calling of God, and I'm going to give you my life for a year. I will meet with you, and I will encourage you and disciple you, okay? And I can't wait to, to do that. All right, if you called, I need to talk to you. All right, so let's stand up. Brother Terry, you here? Come on. Hey, by the way, all of us are called. If you're a Christian, baby, you are called. Did I say baby? I did. If you're a Christian, <laughs> if you're a follower of Christ, you are called. Can I get an amen? All right, amen. Now, if some of you are called vocationally, and that means you, gotta, you just got to serve God and get paid for it. That's not a bad deal, by the way. Ross, is that okay? It's a pretty sweet deal. So some of you feel called to do that, and I'm, I'm just going to stand right in the middle today, all right? And then we're going to have our pastors. Come on, pastors. Come on out here. Dan, Deacon Dan, come on out here. Daniel, Nate. All right, y'all ready? Can I pray for you? Then we'll have our invitation. Let's do it. Thank you, Lord. Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus that those that you are calling out to salvation, Lord, would they come today? Would they stand with us today and let us counsel and encourage and bless them? Lord, may their white knuckles turn pink as they let go of the pew in front of them and just let the Spirit of God waft them and draw them to this sacred altar. And may we counsel them wisely, lead them to repentance, lead them to faith in you, Jesus. I pray for those, God, that are here today need to join this church. Lord, they need to get involved. They need to, they need to come on, get busy, get with it. And Lord, thank you that you're drawing many to our church. Thank you for our church growing, and we're grateful for that. And Lord, finally, I am praying. I'm praying for the Seths and the Logans and the Wesses and the others. Lord, would you call them out and let us, let us encourage them, let us pray for them. 
will gladly do that. What an awesome thing. So, Lord, bless our invitation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. As Terry sings, as you come, would you come? Even now, as you come.